Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Some of you are a little tired because you watched some football games late last night, I believe, but that's okay. Others of you may be watching online for the same reasons or waiting to come to 1030 service, which that's fine too. But no, I'm glad to be here. My name is Caleb Meeks. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I get to serve alongside our Next Steps team each and every week, and it's an honor and privilege to be here with you this morning. And for those of you who are like, man, worship was cut short this morning, don't worry. We're going to worship some more at the end if that's okay with you. But it's going to be a great day. Um, We are in the middle of our 930. And if you're new to Journey, our 930 is a season of prayer and fasting. In fact, uh, 20 years ago, uh, Pastor Bobby and the launch team spent an entire month, 30 days, the ninth month of the year, September, praying and fasting as they were being led to start this church called Journey. In fact, next Sunday, we're celebrating 20 years as a church. We cannot wait to do that and have a party together and celebrate life change through baptism. We'll talk about that more at the end. But over the last 20 years, uh, 9.30 is a special season around here as we pray and we fast and we seek God together. Uh, This year as a church, one thing we're doing is we have something called our Big Three, and we are focusing on God's favor, God's direction, and God's protection as a church. And then as you walked in today, you may have seen prayers all over the walls in our atrium of people uh, who are praying for certain things. In fact, I saw one last week that I thought was amazing. Someone wrote that they're praying for a miracle for the first time. I think it was like 36 years of being a Christian. They're like, I'm praying for my first ever miracle. There's also another one of someone who last 930, they were praying that God would grow their family. And this past week, they added a baby to their family. And that prayer was answered even a year later. And it's amazing to see how God is working in things. And there's still some prayers that aren't answered yet. And people are continuing to pray for those things. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about that. In fact, in week one, we talked about just a prayer overview. What does it look like to pray? Why do we pray? When do we pray? How do we pray? And ultimately, uh, Pastor Bobby gave us a great example of, of how we should pray. If you've ever seen the movie Vacation with the Griswold family, um, Aunt Edna dies and Ellen Griswold prays over her. So if you want to know how to pray, watch that movie and you will see a great model or not. Maybe you just go back to Matthew and read Jesus' The Lord's Prayer, maybe a little bit better model, but that's what we were told. And then week two, we talk about fasting. And fasting is something we often forget about, but something that is necessary in our lives. We remove something and replace it with God. And then we learn that there's little kids who believe that if you fast, you're going to die. And you're not going to eat, so we're going to die, right? Which is true, you're going to die at some point, but probably not because of fasting. But it's an important thing in our life. And then last week, we talked about two things that either made you super happy or really cringe a little bit, depending on your personality. We talked about silence and solitude, the importance of moments in our life of silence and moments of our life of solitude being by ourselves. But we also heard that it is 100% acceptable to kick your kids out of the house and lock the door, okay? So if you need, the, if you need that to happen for silence and solitude, kick your kids out, lock the door. It's completely fine. Just if they start screaming, call them in because you don't want the cops coming, okay? And today, I want to talk about something that maybe we forget about sometimes, is what happens after prayer? Like after the 930 is over, and we don't have this giant sign back here saying prayer and fasting, and to be honest, there's going to come a day where all the prayers are erased off of, off of the glass walls in the atrium. There's going to come times in your life where prayers are answered, but what happens after prayer? 
And that's what we're going to look at today. In fact, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, and I want us to look at this story together, and maybe from just a different perspective. But Matthew chapter 14, here's kind of what's happened. Uh, John the Baptist, he's a famous person in scripture, a very prominent character. He's just passed away, and the disciples just witnessed an incredible miracle as Jesus just fed 5,000 people with bread, two, five loaves of bread and two fish, okay? So five loaves of bread, two fish. He fed 5,000 people. He multiplied it. Great things are happening. And here's where we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33 in that story. Here's what it says, and you may have heard the story before. It says, immediately after this, so after the 5,000 have been fed, after all these things have happened, this is what happens. Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. So the 5,000 people have been fed, the miracle's over, basically dinner on the grounds is done, okay? So hey, y'all go get back in the boat, I'll get all these people out of here, they're going to go, you go over here. Here's what it says. After sending them home, he, being Jesus, went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, as Mama said, nothing good happens after midnight, right? So at three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, and he said this, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went out over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So you've probably heard this story before, possibly of Peter. He gets to walk on water. And you may have heard it from a perspective of, we just need to have the faith just to get out of the boat and take that first step out of the boat. And that's our strong faith. And then he takes his eyes off of Jesus and then he sinks and Jesus reaches down and pulls him back out of the water. And a lot of times we focus specifically just on the faith aspect. And it's a really important aspect of the story. What I want us to do this morning is to look at it from just a different perspective. Here's what a perspective is. A perspective is defined this way. It's a particular attitude toward or way of regarding something. It's a point of view. In other words, our perspective is how we see life, what we are focused on, where our eyes are. But in this story, I think we can look at it from the perspective of prayer as well. Check this out. Verse 28, it says this, then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. All right, who just presented a request to Jesus? Peter. Peter has presented a request. Jesus, here's what I would like for you to do. Just how we do in prayer sometimes. Jesus, I need you to do this. Here's what it says in verse 29. Yes, come, Jesus said. So all of a sudden, Peter's, Peter's, answered, or Peter's put a request out there, and Jesus has given him an answer. See, so many times in life, we ask Jesus for something. We get an answer, and life's good, right? Like, hey, Jesus, I need this. Sweet. You gave me what I asked for. Everything's good. Prayer over But then we go back to doing life on our own. Check out what happens next in the story. Verse 30 through 33, and this is where we're going to spend some time today. So he's presented a request. Jesus has given him an answer. And all of a sudden, here's what happens. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? 
When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So Peter, he got exactly what he asked for. We couldn't couldn't ask for any better results. He said, Jesus, I need you to call me out in the water. Jesus says, hey, all right, come on. He gets out of the boat. He gets to walk on water. An incredible feat. But then all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He changes his perspective back to the world, back to the water, back to the waves of life, and he begins to sink. But how many times do we do the same thing in life? We focus on Jesus during a season. We focus on Jesus when we need something in life. A prayer is, a prayer is just on our heart. God, I need this. I need this. And we get an answer, and all of a sudden we're like, thank you so much. And we go back to doing life on our own. We change our perspective back to ourselves in the world. I think in that moment right there is a lesson for all of us to learn. So today we're going to talk about what it looks like to change our perspective back to Jesus each and every day. And three things that we can do whenever we feel that our perspective has shifted back away from Jesus and back onto the waves of life, how do we shift that back up to him? So three things that we can do to change our perspective back to him. And here's the first thing. In order for us to change our perspective back to Jesus, we must remember. We need to remember. Verse 30 says this, But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. See, here's what happens. Peter, Peter is focusing on Jesus. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He begins to sink. And then all of a sudden he's like, uh-oh, uh, what do I do? And he remembers, oh yeah, Jesus is right here. What am I doing? He shifts his eyes back to Jesus. He reaches out his hand and Jesus saves him. I think we need to remember this. Remember who is with you. Whenever we see our perspective change back to the world, we need to remember who is with you. And if we can't remember who's with us, let me tell us this morning. This is the God who is with you, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's the first and the last. He's the final. Amen. He is our creator. He is our provider. He is our deliverer. He is our hope when all seems lost in our life. He is our peace amongst the storm. He is our good shepherd, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the sacrifice for our sins. He is the one true God. That is who is with you. That's worth remembering. That is worth remembering in our life. This is who is with you. You see, Peter had God in literal flesh and Jesus right in front of him, and he still forgot. We have to remember who is with us. One of the greatest ways I've seen this done is a way of reminding ourselves and remembering who God is. And for someone who used to come to our church, and she wrote this on Facebook years ago, and I, I absolutely loved it, and it's something I've adopted in my own personal life. She said this, that every year on January 1st, she picks something that God and God alone created, something, an element in nature. And every time she sees that, that is her reminder for that year of who God is and that he is still active in her life. I remember the first time she read it, she said, hey, this year I picked out rain. And every time it rains, it's my reminder of, hey, that's who my God is. God is the creator of the universe. God is with me. God is present in my life. And maybe it's something different. This year for me, it sounds weird, but I picked out the moon this year. And every time I see the moon at nighttime, it's my reminder of, hey, God, you are real. You are active. You are in my life of who you are. I've seen, she's gone on and talked about, she's talked about the wind before. Sometimes you go a couple days or weeks without even seeing the result of wind, but all of a sudden a gust of wind comes and it's a reminder of, hey, God's present in my life. So maybe, maybe that's something you adopt. Pick an element in nature that, hey, every time I see this, this is my way of thinking, hey, God, you are with me. 
You're active in my life. It's just an easy way for us to remember who he is. But after remember who he is, we need to remember what he has done. We remember who our God is. He's all these incredible things, but how, how is that applied to our life? What has he done in your life? I'm about to read a passage of scripture that honestly is the very core of Christianity. This passage of scripture is ultimately why we are here, to have hope in Jesus. It says this in the book of Ephesians. This is what he has done for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, it says this. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in hearts for those who obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passion, desires, and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us from Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. And then listen to this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see this, God has given us a gift we can never repay. He allowed us to be set free from a debt that we owe. He's given each and every one of us another chance at life, even though we didn't deserve it. He sent his own son to be a living sacrifice, something we just sang about a second ago on the cross to pay for our sins. I think sometimes we forget the magnitude of that. Who in here is a parent? You have kids. Could you imagine sacrificing your kid? God sent his son Jesus in the form of a baby to grow up and to one day simply be crucified on a cross. He sacrificed his own son for you, for me, for us. It's worth remembering. Sometimes we forget about that we take it for granted sometimes. We may hear it on Easter, we hear, we sing songs about it, and sometimes we just sit down and remember, oh yeah, that's right. You literally allowed your son to be killed for me, to pay a debt I couldn't pay, to pay for my sins. We need to remember what he's done for us. The third thing we need to remember is this. We need to remember his promises for our life. We need to remember the promises for your life. I shared these with the staff a couple weeks ago during uh, a devotion, and I thought that there's something that we as a church and we as humans just need to hear sometimes. First thing is this. Here's a promise Jesus has given you. Jesus is constant. It says this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing. He is constant in your life. It's not some days, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go spend some time with this person today. So you, you, you do your life on your own or, Hey, I, you don't need me today. So I'm going to go over here. No, 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 no. Jesus is, Jesus is saying, Hey, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a promise. Jesus is constant. Here's another promise. 
We, you, and I, we put our faith in Jesus, we're never alone. We are never alone. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says this. It says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. There's people sitting in this room, there's people watching online who need to hear that promise that he is with you, you are not alone. So many times when we feel alone, it's because our perspective is down on this world. Our perspective is on ourselves. Our perspective is what is going on in my life. But what we realize, if we shift our perspective back to him, we realize he's with us each and every step of the way. It's a promise. We are never alone. Here's another promise for you. God's grace is enough. God's grace is enough. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the first part says this. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. My grace is all you need. At the end of the day, it all boils down to God's grace is all that we need. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. That's the one thing that we need in our life and it's readily available for us to accept. And God's grace is enough no matter what circumstance comes in our life. It's a promise that we can hold on to. So after, after we remember who he is, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, our creator, our provider, after we remember those things, we begin to realize and remember what he's done for us. And after we remember what he's done for us, we remember those promises he has for us. What we need to do next is reflect. Meaning, hey, God, you've done these things. Here's who you are. I need to sit in this moment and reflect on that as well. So we remember and then we reflect. It says this in verse 33, the second part of this verse in our story. It says, you really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So what happens is, a moment has happened where Peter gets out of the boat, he sinks, Jesus pulls him back out of the water, he gets back in the boat. All of a sudden, they are reflecting on what just happened, and they say, you really are the Son of God. They learned a lesson in that moment. Here's the first way that we can really reflect, and this is maybe, it's a little, it's a little weird for us to do, but it's super important. We can reflect by writing down our story. When you reflect, write down your story. Here's the importance of your story. It says this in Psalms chapter 78, verses 1 through 4. It says, Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. We see in the scripture the importance of our story and telling people our story. I don't know if you realize this, but think about this for a second. It's 2023. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross. The only way that we know about that is through people's stories. Obviously, we see it in scripture. We see people's stories all the time. We're reading a story right now, the story of Peter walking on water. But what has happened is over time, people's lives have been changed because of that story. And your life has been changed because of that story. And we begin to share it with other people. But here's the thing about your story, is that your story is your story alone. There's no two stories the same. Some people say, well, hey, my, life, it's, my life's been pretty easy. I don't really have a, a really crazy story. So Jesus has still changed your life. You can still accept that grace. Your story is your story alone, and your story is never finished. 
Your story is continuously being written. You see, God has done, is doing, and will continue to do a great work in and through you. And it's worth remembering. It's worth reflecting. And it's worth sharing. So maybe, maybe this week you sit down and you write out your story. But you don't put the end on it. You allow it to be another page that God continues to write your story each and every day. But it's worth reflecting and writing down our story. But when you do that, here's another thing we need to reflect on. When we reflect, we need to recall our emotions. When you write down your story, recall your emotions. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? Like, our emotions. Why are our emotions? Well, even in Scripture, we read about emotions. Emotions are an important part of life. It says this in verse 30. It says, when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified. And if you're looking in Scripture in your Bible, maybe say the word afraid. He shifted his perspective back down to the water. When he saw everything moving, he was terrified and he was afraid. That was his emotion. Here's the thing about emotions. Our emotions will bring us back to the root of the problem. The situation, the scenario. Once we recall these emotions, we will then find the source of our lesson to be learned. When you think about your story, you think about the last time you were angry, you were mad, you were frustrated. In that emotion, there's a lesson for each and every one of us to learn. Maybe we were slow to speak and quick to listen, or maybe we were quick to speak and slow to listen. There's one right way and one wrong way to do that. Maybe we allowed fear to take place over faith, just like Peter did. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he allowed his fear to take place over his faith, his emotion. Maybe we trusted in our own power over Jesus' power. I want you to think back to a time that you were angry or sad or frustrated. There's a lesson for us to learn. Here's what we need to realize about emotions. Emotions are real. Emotions are 100% real in our life. God created us as humans with emotions. However, just because they're real doesn't mean they're always right. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But our emotions will lead us to the true source of the lesson to be learned. And I would almost guarantee this. If we were to reflect on the last time that we were emotional, the last time we were angry, the last time we were frustrated, the last time we were sad, it's in that exact moment that we could probably say, you know what? My eyes weren't quite on Jesus, but my perspective was back down to what's going on in the world. And we reflect and we recall those emotions and it allows us to realize, okay, I need to shift my perspective back to Jesus so I can learn the lesson that he has for me to learn. And when we do that, we write down our story, we recall our emotions. We can also do this as a way of reflecting. Spend time in your past to help your future. Spend, when you, we talk writing down your story and recalling your emotions, we need to spend some time in our past so that we can allow it to help us in the future. There's a person that you may or may not heard of by the name of Walt Disney. Anybody ever heard of Walt Disney before? There's a little place called Disneyland and Disney World. Kind of a big person in history. He says this, though. The past can hurt, right? The past can hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. Your past is going to hurt. When you reflect back on your past, those moments in life, it's going to hurt when those emotions come back that maybe you haven't, you haven't dealt with over the last 20 years of your life. It's going to hurt However, he says, that, you know what? We can either run away from it or we can learn from it. Now listen, I'm not saying that we need to live in our past, okay? God has saved us from our past, amen? I'm not saying we need to go back there and live in those moments, but we are to move on from it and take the lessons learned from our past to help us not repeat them in the future. 
When it comes to shifting our perspective back to Jesus, we say, hey, Jesus, in the past, here's what you've done for me. I can realize I need to shift my perspective back to you. Peter, you can imagine the disciples later in life, later in story, like, hey, Peter, you remember that time you took your eyes off Jesus and you almost drowned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we shouldn't do that anymore, okay? Maybe we should keep our eyes on him. It's a way for him to look in his past and learn a lesson. So after we remember, we reflect, and after we reflect, we begin to respond. And this is ultimately where our perspective can shift back to Jesus and off the waves of life. And I'll be honest with you this morning. I've written about this on Facebook before, and um, it was a couple months ago. When it comes to worship, I'll be honest. I'm not the most uh, demonstrative person in worship, okay? I'm not the most active person. I'm not the loudest person. In fact, there's even sometimes in worship where I don't even sing out loud. Just being honest. But a lot of times what I do in worship is I listen to the words that are on the screen or that are being sung by the congregation or that are on the radio and I begin to reflect on them. I just kind of internalize worship and a lot of times I'm, I'm, a lot of times I'm, I'm watching things going on but I'm praying the whole time through worship. I'm just more of an internal worshiper. It's just the way God has wired me. And there's a song that we've sang a lot over the last couple of months and I've heard it a lot on the radio and you've probably heard it as well. It's called Gratitude. And there's an there's a ad lib in this song that Brandon Lake says. He's the one who wrote this song. And an ad lib is something that's not necessarily in the lyrics, but a lot of times worship leaders will say stuff to kind of transition between the chorus and the bridge, okay? And he said this one time, and it, it just it stood out to me for some reason. He said this. He said, let's call on our soul like David did. I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Like, call on our soul like David did. So I spent a couple weeks just kind of trying to internalize that and digest it and what happened is he says that line, let's call on our souls, let's command our souls just like David did, and then he writes this in the song. He said, so come on my soul, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song, because you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So I was like, okay, you wrote these lyrics, you said this, like call on my soul like David did, so where does David call on his soul? Well, in Psalm chapter 103, and David is someone who not only, not only remembered who God was, but you're talking about someone who reflected in his life and wrote down his story and his emotions. The entire book of Psalms is almost all David writing these things. And he says this in Psalms chapter 103, verses 1 through 2. He says, Oh, my soul, come praise the eternal. With all that is in me, body, emotions, mind, and will, every part of who I am, praise his holy name. Oh, my soul, come praise the eternal. Sing a song from a grateful heart. Sing and never forget all the good he has done for you. Church family, one of the best ways that we can respond is by calling on our soul. We call on our soul. It takes me back to uh, middle school and high school, which was a long time ago, okay? Middle school and high school. Some of you got that. And I remember working out for basketball or for football, doing conditioning. And there was a moment where you're ready to give up, right? Like you're running Hail Marys, you're running, I can't even say that thing anymore, the way you ran for basketball. You're in football, you're working out, it's the, the dog days of summer, and you're ready to give up. But then there's always this one voice, and it's usually the coach, who says, give me one more. You got one more in you, one more rep. I think that's what God is telling us when we talk about calling on our soul. It's like, I'm ready to give up my, my mind, my body, my emotions, my will. I'm done with this. It's like, hey, hey, no, no, no. You got one more ounce in you. Call on your soul. You can do this. 
There's some people in this room, there's some people watching online who are like, you know, I'm ready to give up. I've been fighting this thing all by myself, and the only way that our perspective changes is we dig down deep into our soul and say, come on, my soul, let's worship him. Come on, my soul, let's praise the eternal. So one of the ways that we can respond is by calling on our soul. Don't give up now. Dig deep. Call on our soul. Put our eyes back on him. Another way that we can respond is by telling him thanks. When's the last time we just sat down and said, hey, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. What that does is that puts our perspective off of this world and puts it back on him and say, look at all the things you've done. Thank you. It's one of the most important things we can do. Maybe you take this, this big three idea we've been talking about of God's favor, direction, and protection. You say, hey, I'm going to write down three things that I'm thankful for that God's done in my life, and I'm going to pray over those. Those are the three things every day I'm going to pray over. Maybe you, maybe you sit down with your family at the dinner table and you write down 10 things that you and your family are thankful for and you put them up somewhere that everybody sees and like, hey, these are the things we're thankful for. What that allows us to do is to shift our perspective back off the waves of life and back onto Jesus. Here's what scripture tells us about being thankful. First Chronicles 16, 34 says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Psalm 7, verse 17 says this, I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Telling him thank you is a way for us to respond. It's a way for us to shift our perspective back off of the waves of life, back off of the world and say, Jesus, I want to tell you thank you. Even after the prayer is over, even after he's answered everything, we realize, you know what, my perspective has gone back down to where it shouldn't be. I need to tell him thank you and put my perspective back on Jesus. And the last way we respond is by worshiping him. I don't think we could be in an environment of worship and not have our perspective on Jesus. If we're worshiping him, our perspective goes back to where it should be. It says this in verse 33, it says, then the disciples worshiped him. You see, the disciples saw this moment in the story of, of Peter, even when he failed, he was saved, he was put back in the boat. The disciples realized, they remembered, God, you were amazing. They reflected on what happened and all of a sudden the disciples worshiped him. See, when we, when we see our perspective shift back to the wind and the waves of life, we know something's off. And it's in that moment that we begin to remember and reflect that our soul can't help but respond in worship. Peter, a man who went from mountaintop to valley in a matter of seconds, because he took his eyes off of Jesus, he realized the importance of his perspective. You see, once the disciples, they remembered who was with them. They remembered what he had done for them, the miracles they have witnessed and the promises to them. They recalled that story, they reflected on it, and their souls caused them to worship Jesus. For the next few moments, we wanna provide a, a safe place to do just that. Maybe some of you are sitting in here and there's areas of your life where you know, your perspective is just seeing the wind and the waves and the things that are just disrupting everything and you feel like you're about to sink. Maybe it's in those moments we say, hey, I'm gonna shift my perspective back to Jesus and I'm gonna focus on him for a moment. Maybe your perspective is on him, but you just wanna sit 
and remember all the good things he's done for you and tell him thank you in a time of prayer. Maybe today you realize that you've never shifted that perspective off of, the, off of the world, off of the waves of life. And today for the very first time, you put your perspective on him and say, Jesus, I need you. I've never done this before, but I need to put my faith and my trust in you and in you alone as you begin to write a new chapter in my story. However you feel led to respond, I wanna encourage you to do that. As you remember, as you reflect, you respond in a way that you feel led. We're gonna sing a song in a few moments. It's just a way of remembering the things that we've witnessed him do in our life because he's done a lot, because he's good. The altar is open. If you wanna come down and pray, you can pray in your seat. You can stand, you can worship in a moment. But church family, when we remember, we reflect and we respond, our perspective shifts to the one who has the power to change things. It's the one who heals those who are sick, who, who finds those who are lost. He comforts those who are in need and he helps those who are hurting. He extends a hand to those who feel like they are sinking. He loves those who don't even love themselves and he listens to those who put requests to him and ask according to his will. This is the God we serve. This is the God we love. This is the God who is readily available for us. And church family, our perspective is to shift to him. So right now, we're going to time a prayer as we shift our perspective back to the one who does those things for us. Let's pray. Jesus, in this moment, we put our eyes on you. We begin to remember all the things you've done in our life. We remember the one who is with us each and every step of the way. God, we remember the promises you have for us. And God, as we remember, we begin to reflect on how you're writing our story. And God, maybe we've taken the pen out of your hand and tried to do this on our own. God, right now, we shift our perspective back to you and say, God, you and you alone are the one writing my story. We reflect and we recall those emotions in our life where we realize that our perspective was on ourselves and on the world and not on you. God, I pray right now we begin to learn the lessons you have for us. And God, as we remember and we reflect, God, I pray right now we would respond. That God, we would call on our souls to worship you and you alone. That God, we would tell you thank you. And that God, we would praise you for the things we've witnessed in our lives. And that God, ultimately our eyes would shift above the waters. The wind and the waves, they may seem like a storm in our life, but God, our eyes and our perspective would be on you and you alone. As we worship you, we thank you. We respond to you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or would like to talk with someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.